All right, let's get into this patient case. So imagine that you're the provider for Mateo. What do we know about Mateo? Mateo is a 68-year-old man who's admitted to the hospital for a myocardial infarction. We also know that his LDL cholesterol is 118 and his triglyceride value is 184. Before his hospitalization, he reported that he somewhat exercised, 30-minute brisk walk five days a week. He also reported that he follows a low saturated fat diet, but also reports to limited adherence with that diet. And also, he's been treated with a statin, simvastatin 40 milligrams daily for over three years. Think about what you would do with Mateo. What change would you make to his treatment plan? Would you switch to high-intensity statin regimen? Or would you add a bile acid sequestrant? Or add azetamibe, add phenofibrate, or perhaps add a PCSK9 inhibitor? What would you do based on this limited information for Mateo? So we do have a little bit of a mix. Nobody's taking the bile-acid sequestrant, okay? We probably don't have to address that for tolerability. Very few people adding phenofibrate, not really tempted by that mild elevation in triglycerides. I'm happy with that. But we got a majority of people switching to high-intensity statin therapy. Three out of four of you answered that. And a little bit, some uptake with three and five, which is either adding azitamibe or adding a PCSK9 inhibitor. So clearly the responses are for the pure LDL lowering therapies that are commonly used, that being azitamibe, switching to a high intensity statin therapy or a PCSK9 inhibitor. But the real trend here is to switch to high intensity statin therapy. And I believe probably some of the reason for that is very clearly listening to Dr. Jones and going over some of the recommendations. And if we just look at the ACC AHA recommendations, clinical ASCVD, which is Mateo, he's admitted to the hospital with a, a myocardial infarction. So now he's a secondary prevention patient. What's recommended clearly based on excellent evidence is high intensity statin therapy. So recognizing his current therapy is simvastatin 40, going up to high intensity at least is in line with what's recommended. Perhaps some people chose the other options because they wanted more robust reductions than what you would get by just stepping up the intensity in statin therapy. So I might, might understand that to some extent. Let's go through those guidelines a little bit clearer though. It's based, and I, when I call it overwhelming evidence supporting high intensity statin therapy, the ACCAHA group also believes in that. They have this labeled as a class one A evidenced recommendation, that being using high intensity statin therapy in people like Mateo with clinical ASCVD. They have another corollary recommendation based on good evidence that if there's some risk factor or known intolerance to high intensity statin therapy, then maybe you can get away with his current regimen, which is moderate intensity. But very clear, it looks based on this information that Mateo has just been on moderate intensity statin therapy and then suffered his cardiovascular event, now changing his comorbidity to being a secondary prevention patient. We do have newer information. Looking at azitamibe, 11% of people may have been thinking that improve it. Maybe these data apply to this kind of patient. How does the improve it data apply to a patient like Mateo? Well, this study was very large and robust, 18,000 patients looking like Mateo, a recent ACS event, which is his now predominant medical condition. It was a randomized study that looked at patients treated with a baseline of simvastatin 40. There were some changes in study methodology, but then had randomization to either placebo or azitamibe for multiple years. Now the median duration was about five years, but they extrapolated findings out to seven, a little over seven years. And they met their primary endpoint, which was recurrent cardiovascular events. We can see based on the curve to the right on this graph, that when if you look at patients developing the primary endpoint of a recurrent cardiovascular event throughout the years, that there were fewer patients that were treated with azitamibe suffering from that recurrent cardiovascular event. This was a statistically significant finding. Now we might think the clinical relevance may be small, 
because the relative difference between these two treatment arms were probably not as much as we would like to have, but when we look at these data, they are evidence that adding ezetimibe to a patient like Mateo may improve his condition. Now, he may not completely look like the improved population because I think it's important to appreciate what the LDL values were in this population. Patients treated just with, just with simvastatin alone had LDL values after a period of years of about 70 versus less than 55, about 53.2 is listed here for the patients treated with ezetimibe. So perhaps Mateo is a little bit more of an exaggerated patient, or maybe he's not as inherent with his statin regimen as patients that were in the improved prove it trial. Another way to look at this is the number needed to treat. The number needed to treat was respectable being 50, but really this is a figment that a number needed to treat looks good because we have um, a big difference with an endpoint that is commonly seen in this population. I can't get away from the fact that after seven plus years, the endpoint went from 34.7 down to 32.7. So a net difference of 2% giving us a number needed to treat of 50, but still high values for achieving that endpoint in both groups. That was incorporated into the ACC expert consensus decision pathway. This is how it was written in 2016. And very clearly, this pathway applies to Mateo. Now you may think he has clinical ACVD because he's admitted to the hospital, but what is his comorbidity? We didn't have a whole bunch of background. But don't forget that recent ACS or a recurrent event while on statin therapy is considered that comorbidity. So this algorithm does apply to him. And it would, if you work down, one thing that we should not get, get beyond is the need to use maximally tolerated statin therapy. And I think that just has not been achieved in Mateo. If it were, then azitamide would be recommended based on this 2016 statement as first therapy after maximizing statin therapy with a PCSK9 laid out here as another option, a second option to think about. Now, I do want to state that this was published in 2016, one year after Improve It. Why is that important? Well, very clearly, that ACC expert consensus decision pathway is positioning PCSK9 inhibitors as second line to azitamide. But what we know about the PCSK9 inhibitors, we have alirocumab, data from the Odyssey long-term trial, that really shows in a large population, these drugs are highly effective, much more effective from an LDL-lowering perspective compared to azitamide. We see consistent reductions that were produced with this particular PCSK9 of about 50 to 60% percent, excuse me, percent <coughs> in lowering that LDL value. So very much comparing a strong LDL-lowering therapy when looking at PCSK9s to azitamide. The one thing that PCSK9 inhibitors did not have were outcomes data, at least until earlier this year. What happened after 2016 was publication of the Fourier data. This is evolocumab compared to placebo in patients who were clinical ASCVD patients, so secondary prevention, on top of a baseline of maximally tolerated statin therapy, which was mostly high-intensity statin therapy in the majority of patients. Now, this is a very large trial of over 27,000 patients, so it was highly powered to achieve their primary endpoint of recurrent cardiovascular events. And if you look to the graph to the right, we see that those treated with evolocumab in the red line had fewer cardiovascular events than those in the blue line. And if we want to look at these results, they're perhaps a little bit more um, overall impressive when we compare them to improve it because of the magnitude of difference, seen only after about 2.2 years. Also important to note is the LDL values in these patients. We're comparing the placebo-treated patients on top of a baseline of maximally tolerated statin therapy, an LDL of about 90, which dropped down to 30 with evolocumab as the PCSK9 inhibitor treatment.
with the number needed to treat is 67. It's hard to compare numbers needed to treat across studies, but I think it's important to sort of look at these in the big picture of things. So when we think back on Mateo, um, we can appreciate that he is a patient who is in need of further cardiovascular risk reduction therapy. But I wanna ask Dr. Jones, maybe more specifically, in a patient who presents to you who's had a recurrent cardio, or a cardiovascular event on statin therapy, how does that overall change your approach to managing their lipid? Yeah, I mean, this, lipid. you know, the, the question I was gonna ask about Mateo is, he says he presents with an MI, and he'd been on simvastatin for three and a half years. You would assume that that was his first MI. So he was being treated primary prevention and then had an MI, all right? So your first thought is, okay, well maybe we started too late in his treatment, maybe we didn't treat uh, intensely enough, or his LDL was still 118 in primary prevention, maybe we should have been lower. But if this was, what if I told you that this was Mateo's second MI, and that he was put on simvastatin the first time, three and a half years ago, and now he's had another event? That will make you think a lot differently about what's, what you might wanna do. But I do think he needs to be on high-intensity statin. His LDL is 118 on, on Simba 40. You're going to put him on 80 of Atorva or 40 of Rezuva if he can tolerate it. So where will his LDL go? How much lower from 118? 6, 8%, 10% maybe doing that? That's about all you'll get. So he'll still be above 100. Uh, on that. So the question is, is that, where's that threshold? What do you do next? And that's the question that I think you, you consider is, you'd like his LDL to be as low as possible. Certainly, if you get his LDL to around 100 on high intensity statin, he is, he would probably benefit from exetamide. You get a 20 or 25% reduction. You'll get him down there close to 70 on exetamide. But he also has a baseline LDL on high intensity statin after an MI which fits the Fourier study. And so his baseline LDL is very close to that. You gave him a PCSK9, he'll get down to 30 or 40, and he'll get a, a benefit from that in a couple of years. So it really is a decision as to what you're trying to accomplish and what you think's in his best interest. This was his first MI, maybe at his age, you might say, well, yeah, high intensity stat, maybe add exetamide to see if I can get him down to 70. But if this is his second MI, and your high intensity statin and his LDL is around 100. Maybe I'll look at Fourier and sort of say, geez, I'm gonna you know, sort of jump the, the uh, exetamibe and go to PCSK9, what do you think? Yeah. I, I guess when I look at this patient right now, I have a few things that are suspicious in my brain. I know that during an acute coronary event, your LDL sometimes drops down, so I'm wondering, is this 118 really on statin therapy? Is he, does he have a non-adherence problem? He may, he may not be taking his medication. Yeah, we don't even know what his baseline possible. was. We don't even know how he responded yeah. to Simba. I mean, he could have had a great response to Simba. He could have had a terrible response to Simba. All mm -hmm. we know, he's got 118 on 40 of Simba. Yeah. yeah. It's possible if he's taking his Simba statin, his baseline's 200, and it's dropped down a little bit because of his acute coronary event. So digging back, I, I call it a chart digest. Going back and getting a little more information might be reasonable. But given that, I think it's very reasonable to go to high-intensity statin therapy. If I had my my magic wand, I would, I would place him right now. I'd switch his simvastatin to a torvastatin 80. Good data, long-term data, the miracle study, other studies support that treatment during acute coronary syndrome. I think it's sort of a, a given that we have to make that, we have to give that a chance to work or a chance to fail, whichever perspective you want. I think when you think of PCSK9 inhibitors in this person, I'm not closing the door on it, but I'm, I think it might be a little premature. There's some tempting data though from angiographic 
studies. Have you heard, what's your take on some of the glagol? Well, you've got them, you've got them. You might as well go yeah. ahead and show it because this is the other point about maybe with a recurrent event where you might say, geez, you know, we didn't see this with statin treatments. Uh, so you present the glagol. Yeah, the glagol data, if you haven't heard of it, it was, it preceded the Fourier, but it came out, it looked at almost a thousand patients with angiographic CAD and evaluated evolocumab versus placebo in these patients with a primary endpoint looking at percent atheroma volume. And you can clearly see on the right that there was regression or decreased atheroma volume with the addition of evolocumab, but not with placebo. So this is actually suggestive that these robust reductions that we get with PCSK9 inhibitors displayed on the bottom right, treating patients to LDLs in the 30s, that maybe we can get significant reductions in plaque, plaque burden or plaque volume. Matter of fact, you can even plot it off, and this is just another way of depicting some of the data from Glagov, and look at the percent change in atheroma volume versus the LDL achieved in these, in these patients, these thousand patients. And the lower the LDL value that was achieved, the more um, reduction or decrease in atheroma volume we have. So I guess this builds sort of a good hypothesis that uh, something that I believe in, which is lower is better. And maybe it's, it could be a PCSK9 effect or it could be just a fact that these are strong drugs. So it does sort of open that door that maybe it's an LDL effect that lower cameras result in these beneficial effects. I, I, I agree. Th this sort of makes me lean a little bit more to the more complicated recurrent event patient on, on, on optimal statin treatment to maybe think of a PCSK9 and the lower LDL you can, you can get earlier in that kind of patient situation than maybe somebody who's had the first MI, for instance. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, as I said, if he, if he wasn't that kind of case, this was his first MI, you might give him a chance to Oh, go to high intensity statin, maybe exetamibe, and see what he does. Uh, uh, depends on the, on the complexity of his, uh, of his coronary disease. But if it was recurrent events on a statin, I think the Glagov sort of supports that in a very short period of time you get regression, which you're not going to get by just a little bit more intensifying his statin, uh, statin treatment. And we have time for some questions from the audience. Anybody have any questions each? about him? So the question is, is it the statin or is it the LDL that provides the benefit in event lowering? Well, I, I do think your question is really getting down to the against it. Do, do statins do more than just lower LDL? And there's always been this pleiotropic effect issue of statins reducing inflammation and, and changes. There, there still is that possibility, yes. And it's hard to separate the LDL lowering from what other effects statins may have. I think the randomized clinical trial data suggests higher intensity statin does give you incremental benefit than lower intensity statin. Maybe because it's LDL, maybe because there are other factors we haven't been able to, uh, to suggest. I will say the PCSK9 monoclonal antibodies do not change inflammation. So they do not lower CRP, but they cause regression in a real short period of time. So that is LDL, okay? So I think most of the stuff from statins is LDL. But I think they're, they're proven drugs, they're, they're safe, they work. Yeah, you should maximize them as much as possible and then decide on moving to non-statin drugs with further focus on LDL as the ultimate goal. Where 20%, 25%, you add this, you get another 50%, but it depends, I think, on its patient decision, what you expect, what you want in the short run, long term, um, that makes a decision of how you add these non-statin drugs. In the patient situation, baseline LDL, uh, comorbidities all determine probably which non-statin drug you would add. Yes. 
Yes, they also mentioned bile acid sequestrants. So the question is, in your past experience, how many medications do you add on to somebody like this to get them to goal? Uh, one agent, two agent, three agents, four agents. Uh, right. Where, when does it become impractical? At, at what point? Well, that's a great question because prior to PCSK9s, this is the kind of guy with recurrent events who would be on his maximal statin as you would tolerate. Then you'd add a zetamide. Then you'd add a bile acid resin. And yeah, if you gave all three of those, he could get his LDL below 70. If you did from 118, max got him to high intensity statin, added a zetamide, added a bile acid resin, you could probably end up at 60. Yeah. milligrams per deciliter on him. That's what we used to do. Mm. The patients would scream and yell about all the pills they were taking and they hated it and they, the question is would they comply with it and being able to come up with a, another treatment that gave profound LDL lowering and simplified treatment increases patient adherence obviously. Th there's a cost issue to it but from the patient standpoint I think they were all over this. It was not very hard to get patients to switch from taking you know, all the cholecebalam and, and then uh, that they were taking, some were even taking niacin too. We had four drug treatments in the FH patients, for instance, to try to get them anywhere reasonable. So these drugs have helped patient compliance, and I think that will end up with the result because they'll have consistently low LDLs because they comply with their treatments long term. And, and my comment based on that is at what point would you accept multiple drugs to control lipid disorders? I think it depends on your patient. I have hope for this guy that. I, I do believe that maybe two drugs might get him to an acceptable level. It may be rosuvastatin 40 or at least atorvastatin 80 might be needed with perhaps azitamide. It may get an acceptable level. I have much more tolerance for multiple lipidoid drugs for those patients with FH because right. they're more exaggerated back background or baseline LDL. So the big thing here I really want to see is what was this patient's baseline LDL? I think that would help, that would help clinicians immensely. Yes. Hi, yes. Fran Kaiser, Dallas, Texas. Thank you for a great presentation and this great case. Where would you fit the results of the Cantos trial as we know them as of this moment? Didn't lower LDL, did in fact decrease inflammation, right. and did reduce cardiovascular events. Do right. you ever see a time in the future where there's a marriage of both mm -hmm. lowering LDL and using an anti-inflammatory? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a little outside the, the realm of what we're going to talk about here this evening, but you're correct. Uh, we'll hear about Cantos in a few weeks at the ESC meeting, exactly what the impact was, but it's a uh, monoclonal antibody to interleukin-1b given over three to four years uh, after an event did reduce cardiovascular events through reducing a, a target on inflammation. Of course, this is being looked at through other mechanisms of reducing inflammation with, with uh, a, a trial that Paul Ridker is doing with methotrexate as a chronic treatment in patients. So we may end up marrying certain treatments to reduce cardiovascular events that don't work through LDL, but they work on modulating atherosclerosis, which is a complex disease. And so, and, and of course, it even rolls over into diabetes. You know, when you start using drugs that reduce heart failure and death, I mean, they don't really change A1C much more than some of the other drugs, but they reduce heart failure and death. They do it through different mechanisms, but they are used in high-risk patients and give benefit. So, yeah, that's a complicated issue is how that will get incorporated into these high-risk, you know, ASCVD patients with recurrent events. It'll probably be there, but it's going to get complicated for those of us that manage these patients. You're right. 
Yeah, all I can say is it's gonna be exciting to see how cardiovascular disease changes with some of these new data. That's not the last story of that story. It is, There'll it's be not more the last come. of inflammation impacting vascular risk.